This morning we continue to make our way through the book of 1 Timothy. Today uh, we will be starting chapter 5 and looking at what will amount to the final section of Paul's letter to Timothy. As I mentioned last week, chapters 1 through 3 of this letter were more informational. But now that we've finished the first half and are getting into the second half, we're going to see how chapters 4, 5, and 6 become much more applicational. Uh, starting in chapter 4, Paul started to address Timothy in the imperative mood, uh, much more frequently exhorting young Timothy on matters that he needs to take action upon in the church. Now, chapter 4, uh, which we covered over the last two weeks, dealt primarily with Timothy's responsibility as a minister of Jesus Christ. Uh, as a pastor of the church there in Ephesus, Timothy had certain responsibilities that he needed to tend to as a good minister of Christ. Chapter 4 was all about Timothy and his work as a minister. However, now that we get into chapters 5 and 6, Paul switches his attention from the minister to the ministry. While chapter 4 dealt with the minister of the church, chapters 5 and 6 deal primarily with the ministries of the church. In chapters 5 and 6, we're going to be looking at and studying Paul's instructions for Timothy regarding different groups of people in the church. How is he to deal with certain groups within the church? The young, the old, the men, the women, the widows, the church elders, masters and servants, the rich, the poor. You see, Paul's going to give instructions for Timothy regarding all these different people groups within the church and how he is to minister to each of them. So this morning, we're going to be looking at some general instructions Paul has for all the members of the church body, and then he's going to focus specifically in, specifically in upon a very prominent and important group within the church. Our text this morning is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. The title of our study is going to be Family Ministry, okay, Family Ministry. If you have your Bible with you this morning, you haven't done so already, go ahead and open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and then once you're there, I'd like to invite you to rise to your feet in honor of God and His Word. I'm going to reading, be reading our text from my Bible. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Uh, if you're doing reading from a different uh, translation, just do your best to follow along. Okay? So, Paul continues his letter to Timothy with the following in chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Verse 3, honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. If she's brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But, verse 11, refuse the younger widows 
For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already returned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. An interesting portion of Scripture for us uh, this morning. We'll pray and ask God to lead us through it. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Even when you come to portions of Scripture that we kind of feel like, I don't know if this really applies to us. We know that it does. Lord, and we know and trust that you want to speak to us today. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give to us uh, expectant hearts, Lord, and attentive ears that we might hear all that your spirit desires to speak to us. We give you this time and uh, we ask for your leading and guiding in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. As you can see from our reading, this morning's text has much to say about the family of God and how we are to treat each other, especially when it comes to widows. God has always had a very special place in his heart for the widow, as well as the orphan and the fatherless, or excuse me, the fatherless and the stranger or the sojourner. In Exodus, we read, you shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. Listen, God doesn't mess around when it comes to the widow and the fatherless. Okay, how we treat them is something very important to God and something that he takes very seriously. In Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking about the Lord and he states, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the stranger, giving them food and clothing. Later on in chapter 24, Deuteronomy leaves instructions for the Israelites in regards to when they go and uh, they reap their harvest and when they gather from their vineyard and when they shake their, and beat their olive trees. They're to leave extra for the fatherless, for the widow, for the stranger. For those who were without support, without the means to provide for themselves, they were to leave extra for them. The psalmist declares... Uh, our God and describes our God as a father of a, the fatherless. He is a defender of widows, and he is God in his holy habitation. Even in the New Testament, right? We read in uh, James's epistle words about our duty as Christians when he writes, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And so it's very clear from Scripture 
that God intends for us to play a huge part in ministering to the needs of those who are without, those who are alone, those separated from their family, whether they're alone in foreign land or they're separated because of death or some other unfortunate event. God wants his family to take care of those who are without family, to welcome them in, to provide for them, to minister to them, to love them as their own. And as we get into our text this morning, we're going to see God's expectation for how we deal with one another, specifically how we are to deal with and best minister to widows within the church. Now, I know for us today uh, here in Iwakuni, I, I think in general we can say we're a relatively young church body. Um, we don't have a lot of uh, senior saints with us. You know, it's a military community, and most people retire and get out of the military at still a young age, right? Yes, last week we looked at, hey, if you're under 40, you're still a youth. So I think our church is made up of primarily youth, okay? Not all of us are youth. I'm not a youth, and, but that's okay. Um, but that does not mean that this text is not for us, Okay? As we'll see, this text is something that all in God's church are to be familiar with. Paul will exhort Timothy to teach these things to the whole church, that all would know and understand their part and what is expected from them. Okay? And so, as we go through this text, we're going to note different aspects of the ministry of the family and specifically to the widows that applies to us still today, and hopefully we'll hear and learn from what God wants to speak to us. So let's jump into our first part of the text where Paul addresses people in general and how Timothy was to treat them and interact with them. Read verses 1 and 2. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Here Paul starts off with a general address to Timothy concerning four different groups of people and how he is to minister to them. The first group he brings up are older men. And Paul says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. The word rebuke here is a very interesting word in the Greek. It is the only time that this particular Greek word is used in the entire, of, uh, the entire New Testament. Okay? Now, the English word for rebuke uh, is used several times in the New Testament, uh, but those are different Greek words. They're different roots than the Greek word that's used here. The word used here literally means to strike upon or to give blows upon. Basically, to beat uh, is the basic understanding. Okay? And I think it's obvious that Paul is using it figuratively here. I don't think Paul was concerned about Timothy going around and beating up the old guys in the church. Okay? He wasn't saying, hey, make sure you don't beat up the old guys. Um, that's not what he's saying. And so we understand he's using this word figuratively. Paul is exhorting Timothy not to be harsh and abusive in his language towards the older men. He needed to be respectful and honoring in how he addressed these older men. Remember that Timothy was just a youth himself, and it was important for him as a youth to pay the proper respect due to the elderly within the congregation. And we understand that principle still even today, right? Uh, while it may not be the most popular of phrases, we still hear the occasional, respect your elders, right? As we maybe talk to some of our youth and say, hey, you need to, this older adult, you need to respect them and, and be kind and use the right kind of language around them, right? We understand that. 
Instead of rebuking them harshly, Paul encourages Timothy to address his elders as he would his father. You know, to come alongside them and exhort them. The word exhort in the Greek is the word parakaleo. It's a compound word. Para means alongside of, and kaleo means to call to someone. And so the idea is Timothy needs to call them to come alongside himself so that he may lovingly address them and encourage them in a private conversation. Timothy needs to treat these older men as if they were a father to him, to give them respect and to show them his love and concern for them. The next group that Paul addresses is the younger men. And Paul says younger men as brothers. It's a continuation, really, of the thought towards older men. Timothy isn't to be harsh towards the younger men either, but is to exhort them as he would a younger brother. Now, for those of you here who are older brothers to some younger men, I hope that you have strived to set a good example for your younger brothers. I know that I have five sons, and I have always stressed the importance of the older boys being an example uh, for their younger brothers, it comes with the responsibility of being an older brother, is to be that example for uh, the youngers. And a good older brother, he looks out for his younger brothers, and he warns them of dangers, and he helps, he helps them learn valuable life lessons. Okay? Uh, he protects them and doesn't let other people mess with him while they might mess with him a little bit. But uh, there's definitely no one's going to come in and do anything to my little brother kind of an idea, right? He genuinely loves them, and he wants what's best for them. This is how Timothy was to interact with the younger men in the congregation. He was to warn them, to teach them, to protect them. He was to love them and encourage them towards God's best for them. The next group of people Paul brings up were the older women in the church. Paul tells Timothy he's to address older women as if they were his mother. Now, Timothy had a wonderful mother. Okay, the Bible tells us that her name was Eunice. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that. Uh, she was a woman of genuine, sincere faith. I think it's chapter 2. Um, she taught the scriptures to Timothy from childhood and was instrumental in his development as a young, godly man. Timothy no doubt loved his mama. Okay, And so when Paul tells Timothy to treat the older women in the church as if they were his mother... Um, that's a special type of acknowledgement. That's a special type of relationship to show them respect and, and admiration, love and, and gentleness. You know, that is something that I, I wish we had a little bit more of here in our church. You know, I think some people grow up in churches where they have multiple moms, right? And it's like, um, you know, those older senior saints that have been, you know, walking with the Lord for several years. They've raised their own children, but, you know, they're just mom to everybody else as well in the church. Uh, you know, because we're a younger body, uh, we don't have a lot of that, you know. Ladies that would take in some of the young men and women and love on them and care for them, you know, cook them something from scratch and, and just be that mom figure for them. We've got a lot of young men and women here uh, in this community that probably could use a, a motherly figure in their life to love on them and minister them as they're away from their real uh, physical moms, you know? So it's great ministry opportunity. Anyways, Paul tells Timothy to treat the older women like a mother. And then the final group of people that Paul addresses is young women. And Paul tells Timothy that he needs to treat younger women as sisters with all 
purity. Timothy needed to be a big brother to these young women in the church. He needed to look after them like an older brother would any of his younger sisters. He is to treat her with kindness and respect, with purity. Timothy was a young, single man himself, but he was to look upon these younger women as he would a sister, with all purity. Timothy needed to be above reproach when it came to his interactions with younger women in the church. And it would seem that this special qualifier for Timothy about all purity towards the younger women may have been an issue there in the city of Ephesus. Okay, later on in Paul's second letter to Timothy, Paul mentions how there were some, uh, perhaps some of the false teachers within the church of Ephesus, who were acting godly and wanting to be perceived as, go- as godly, but they were using that as a way to creep into the households and make captives of the gullible women, the young and immature women who didn't know any better, and they were weighed down with all sorts of sin. These predatory men were using their perceived godliness as a means to enter into the homes of these women so they can make them captive to their own sinful desires, making these women feel ashamed and and worthless and then basically taking advantage of them. And so Timothy needed to be above reproach uh, completely to make sure nobody could ever try to accuse him of being the kind of man that Paul speaks of in 2 Timothy we don't know for certain how that played out exactly for Timothy and as he ministered to these young women in the church. But I do know for us, you guys, as a church ministry here at Calvary, we don't have any of our leaders meet with people of the opposite sex without someone else being around, okay? It's just good practice, okay? It, it protects everyone involved from any sort of accusation or presumption on behalf of someone else. It allows us all to be above reproach, okay? And there's times where people are like going through some serious things and it's private things. They don't want to talk about it. But I, you know, if it's a woman, I have to tell them, hey, look, can I, my, can I have my wife come in and sit in with us? I'm going to have someone else there. It's just inappropriate and it's not good. We want to be above reproach in all matters, Okay. And I imagine that Timothy probably had some sort of boundaries and and parameters set up for himself as well. It's just prudent and wise to do so. And so, uh, what is the application for us? What are we to take from Paul's exhortation here to Timothy as he deals with all sorts of different people groups within the body, the older men and the younger men and the older women and the younger women? I think it's this. We must understand and realize that we are all family and we need to treat each other like family. As believers in Christ, we have all been adopted into the family of God. We are all children of God. We are family, okay? And family, you know, they stick together. They look out for one another. They love each other. They encourage one another, and they want what is best for one another. We need to treat one another like we are family, older people with respect and honor like we would our mother and father, younger people like our brothers and sisters in the Lord, encouraging them and championing them uh, towards all that God's called them to. Now, I'm sure that there are some here this morning who may not have had the best family upbringing, and maybe when your family gets together, there's a, a bunch of you know, fighting and arguing. Listen, no family is perfect. I know that I wasn't raised in a, a Christian home, and we had our issues. But even as an unbeliever, I was taught the old adage of blood being thicker than water. You know, we may have differences at times. We may not always agree, but we're always going to love each other. We're going to forgive one another. We're going to want what is best for one another. Is that what 
That's what it means to be part of a family, to know that no matter what happens, we will always love each other. We will always want God's best for each other. And I want to encourage you guys, look around this room this morning, okay? Look around. Look at the person to your right, to the left, okay? That is your brother and your sister, okay? If they're older, that's like mom and dad, okay? If you're older, okay, that's like your sons and daughters, okay? Listen, we're a church family. We need to treat each other like family. We need to love each other. Have one another's best interests uh, in mind for one another. Okay? When the people told Jesus that his mother and brothers were looking for him, he stretched out his hand toward all his disciples. And he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, as we surrender our lives to the Lord, we are adopted into this family, okay? And, you know, like it or not, we're going to spend eternity together. So, you know, we might as well get used to each other now and uh, love one another. So Paul starts off by exhorting Timothy to treat everyone in the church like family, to love them, exhort them, encourage them, and all that God's called them to. Let's move on to this next portion of Scripture, dealing with widows in the church. Read verses 3 through 6 with me to get started. Paul writes, Honor widows who are really widows, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. We'll stop right there. Okay? Here, Paul opens up this topic about widows by telling Timothy to honor widows. The Greek word for honor here can be used in a few different ways. Uh, number one, simply it can mean to esteem or honor, to revere, to show respect towards someone. And of course, Timothy should do this towards any widow. As Paul already mentioned, he should treat all the older women in the church as if they were his mother and were called to honor mother and father. This word can also be used to set a price on something, to value something. It's used this way in Matthew's gospel when he quoted from Jeremiah referring to Jesus and the 30 pieces of silver that he was sold for. Matthew writes, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced. The word value is the same Greek word here that's translated honor in verse 3. And then there's a third way that this word honor is used in the Greek. It can mean to assist or provide aid or financial assistance towards someone or to compensate someone financially. And so which kind of honor is Paul talking about here? Well, he's already told Timothy to treat older women as his mother, which would obviously include honoring her. And so I don't think that's what he's saying here because it would just be redundant. He already said that in verse 2. He isn't saying to set a price on the head of the widows either, okay, to ascribe a certain value to them. And so it would seem that he is more than likely referring to providing aid and financial support for widows when he speaks of honoring them. We must remember that in that day and age, there was no Social Security. Okay? There was no uh, Medicare. There's no retirement homes. Widows were especially vulnerable in that day and age because most women worked from home and they depended upon their husband to provide the financial means for the household. If their husband were to pass away, there would be no means for her to provide for herself, especially if she was an elderly woman. 
caring for widows who could not support themselves, became a very important and practical ministry for the first century church. We actually read about this ministry taking off in Acts chapter 6, where there were some disputes popping up about the treatment and provision for certain widows. The Hellenist, uh, the Greek-speaking Jews, were complaining that the Hebrews were showing other Hebrew widows preferential treatment when it came to the daily distribution. And so early on in the church, Uh, the widows had been taken on as a ministry and they were being provided for with daily distributions to ensure that they were, you know, uh, not abandoned and left on their own. And so it seemed that this is what Paul is talking about here when he tells Timothy to honor widows, to provide financial support for, to to, care for them in that way. But interestingly, and Somewhat oddly, Paul instructs Timothy to honor widows who are really widows. Now, this is odd because you either are or you aren't a widow, right? Uh, If you're a woman whose spouse has passed away, thus making you no longer married, then you're a widow by definition, okay? The dictionary defines a widow as a woman who has been bereaved of her husband and has not remarried. And so you either are or you aren't. A widow. It's pretty simple. And so obviously Paul's getting at something different here. And in the following verses, he looks to describe what he considers to be a true widow, someone who's worthy of the honor that Paul exhorts Timothy to show. And in the following verses, Paul's going to note four things that he uses to characterize what makes a true widow, someone that Timothy needs to make sure that he honors, most likely meaning someone that he would provide financial assistance towards, okay? Number one, Paul begins by speaking about a true widow being someone who is truly alone. In verse four, he says, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone, And so the kind of widow that Paul is referring to here is the kind of widow that has truly been left all alone. She has no children or grandchildren to take her in and to provide for her. The inference, and we'll get more into this later in the text, is that a widow that has family should be cared for and supplied for from her own family. Uh, This was the responsibility of the children or or grandchildren to take mom or grandma in and and provide for them. Just like when you were a little baby and they cared for you and, you know, took care of you and changed your diapers. Well, when they get older, you know, the roles switch, okay? And that's just the the expectation, okay? (laughs) And this is said to be good and acceptable before God, Okay? Number two, not only does the widow need to be alone, but according to the middle of verse five, she also must be one who trusts in God. The verb trust here is written in the perfect tense, which means that she's the kind of widow, um, or excuse me, that the kind of widow Paul is speaking about is a woman that has continually trusted God. She trusted him in the past, continues to put her trust in him in the present, and even for the future. Proverbs 3 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. The widows who are deserving of this special honor Paul speaks of are women who have and continue to trust in the Lord with all their heart, knowing that he's sovereign, that he's good, and that he's going to take care 
of his own. Number three, we see that she also must be a woman of prayer. Verse 5 says that she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. This woman is a prayer warrior for God and for the church. You know, a great many of churches and ministries have been empowered by the dedicated prayers of elderly saints who have committed themselves to this special ministry of intercession. The word supplication speaks of request and involves letting your request be known to God. The word prayers involves all sorts of things like speaking to God, praising God, and giving thanksgiving towards God. And so the picture here is that this kind of woman is one who brings her request before the Lord, and then she spends the rest of her time in praise and adoration and communion with the Lord, thanking Him for all the wonderful things He's going to do and how He's going to work and move in and through those supplications that she's made. It's a beautiful picture of just trust and trust and devotion and dedication towards the Lord. She spends her time doing this day and night. Okay? She continually finds herself before the very throne of God, interceding on behalf of others. That's an awesome picture for us. Well, the fourth and final thing that Paul brings up here in our text is seen by way of contrast. The kind of woman Paul has in mind is a woman who is living for God and not self. In verse 6, Paul says that she who lives in pleasure, okay, the superscript in the New King James says the word can also be understood as indulgence. Uh, I think the ESV describes her as a person who is self-indulgent, if you're reading from the ESV. Paul's describing a person that is living for self in their own worldly pleasures. This kind of woman is already dead, though she lives. She's dead in her sins and trespasses. Though her body lives, her spirit is dead. Not so for the widow whom Paul directs Timothy to honor. She'll be the opposite. Instead of living for self, she lives for God. She doesn't live to please herself, but to please the one who made her and saved her. Now, Paul is going to add to this list of expectations in verses 9 and 10, but we have a bit of an interjection here in verses 7 and 8. Let's take a look. He says, And these things command that they may be blameless, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an un." believer. This information about widows and whose responsibility it is to care for them and minister to them is something that Paul wants to make sure Timothy teaches to everyone there in the church. Paul tells Timothy to command these things, that the church may be blameless in this particular area. Everyone will know what is expected of them. Everyone will know who it is the church should be caring for and who the church should be providing financially for. There won't be any questions, okay? There hopefully won't be any disputes like in Acts chapter 6, right? About why certain widows are being cared for while others are being turned away. Everyone will know up front what the expectation is. Paul gives very clear instructions here on who Timothy should honor, meaning that financial provision, okay, and who he shouldn't. And just because you're a widow didn't automatically mean that you go to the church for a free handout. There were prerequisites. There were character traits that were taken into consideration. There were family situations that were needed to be made account of when deciding who would and who wouldn't receive the church's financial support. In verse 8, Paul makes a very strong statement saying, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith 
and is worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever because even unbelievers know and understand the responsibility to care for their elderly family. If the unbelievers do it, how much more should we as followers of God demonstrate this kind of care and compassion that our elderly loved ones need and deserve? If we don't do this basic service for our family, we have denied the faith. We have abandoned the core principles of our faith. The fifth commandment states, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Leviticus 19 states, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy states, cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. Jesus condemned the scribes and the Pharisees for transgressing the commandment of God while adhering to their traditions. He said, For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you've made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. You see, the scribes and Pharisees of that day, they had a tradition of committing their money to be given as a gift to God in the future. Okay? It wasn't something that they said, oh, I gave it to the church. It's saying, hey, I've set this money aside that I'm eventually going to give to God. So, sorry, I can't help you, mom or dad, because that money, well, I've already dedicated it to the Lord. So you're out of luck. And Jesus says, you're hypocrites. <laughs> he called them hypocrites. They were denying the very commands of God through their pious, self-righteous traditions. You can't claim to know God and love God and then at the same time default on the basic care and support of your family. Okay? These two actions, they, they don't blend. They're not cohesive. If you love God, you will keep his commandments. That is what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The fifth commandment still is, honor your mother and father. If you love Jesus, you will honor your father and mother. You will take care of them. You will ensure their well-being. And the application for us is, is a rather simple one and very practical one. What sort of family plans do you have regarding the care of your elderly parents and or grandparents? The responsibility and ensure their well-being is not meant to be the responsibility of the government, uh, the state, okay, or the church. First and foremost, it's yours. Each of us are to provide for and care for our own family. And so maybe this is a discussion that needs to take place uh, in your family. Uh, maybe you contact your other siblings, you know, or other loved ones, you talk to mom and dad and you, you, hey, what's the plan? You know, what is, you know, it's not a pleasant conversation, but it is one that we need to have and we need to be sure that we've uh, done, okay? We want to make sure we are honoring God through honoring and caring for our elderly parents and or grandparents. Let's continue in our text, getting back to Paul's description of the widow worthy of honor and financial support from the church. Read with me verses 9 and 10. He says, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she's brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. 
So Paul continues to speak about the widow deserving of this special honor, and he adds three more requirements in order for a widow to be added to the list of those who were financially supported by the church. And the first thing Paul mentions has to do with her age. He tells Timothy not to put anyone on this list that is under 60 years of age. And we'll see why this age marker was mentioned later on in our text, but it basically had to do with her ability to potentially remarry and the idea that she could still get out and do things to provide for herself if she was under 60 years old, especially if she was a, a much younger widow. If she was in her 30s and her husband unfortunately passed away, there was a sense of like, well, you can care for yourself and, and you could potentially get remarried. Like, you don't need church to, you know, to be taking care of you, right? The second thing Paul mentioned was that she needed to be the wife of one man. Now, we've come across similar language in our study of 1 Timothy already. Back in chapter 3, it describes the requirements for those who serve in church leadership roles, how a bishop must be the husband of one wife, uh, how deacons must be the husbands of one wife. Uh, Pastor Nick did a great job of explaining what those verses meant in chapter 3, that this was more than likely referring to the idea of this men these men being a one-woman kind of guy, okay? They were committed to their spouse. They were continually faithful to them throughout their marriage. This wouldn't necessarily preclude someone who was a widower and subsequently remarried from serving because he had now all of a sudden he's been the husband of two wives and say, oh, you can't serve in the church because you've had two wives now because you got remarried. That's not what it's saying. Hey, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and the same is true here. This isn't somehow ridiculing and dismissing a widow from being served because she remarried. And we know it isn't that because later on in our text, Paul's going to encourage widows to remarry. Uh, remarriage was not an issue of concern here. So it isn't that she has only had one husband, but rather that she, has a, she was a one-man kind of gal. Right? She was faithful to her husband throughout their marriage. She wasn't promiscuous. She wasn't involved in any sort of extramarital affairs, okay? This is what's meant here. The third and final thing that Paul mentions here is that she was known for her good works, well reported for good works. And Paul lists here some of the good works that were typical of this kind of woman. The first thing he noted was that she has brought up children. This speaks of rearing and raising her own children as a mother, but it can also be a reference to her taking in abandoned or orphaned children as her own and loving on them and caring for them as her own. She was well known for her care and her upbringing of her children, loving them and providing a nurturing environment for them to grow up in. Next, Paul listed the act of lodging strangers. This speaks of her hospitality. She was hospitable to others, not only toward friends and family, but strangers who were in need. She would open up her home and welcome them in, providing basic needs like a warm meal and a place to lie their head. Not only was she, be, not only was she to be hospitable, Paul also mentions her washing the feet of the saints. Now, washing the feet of people was the job of a servant. Okay? It was a lowly position, one of humility. Washing the feet of the saints carries with it the idea that she frequently hosted other believers to her home. And as they would enter, she would take the place of the servant. She would wash their feet before they entered their home. In doing so, this woman really was following the example of her very own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it was Jesus who took the place of a servant, and he washed his own disciples' feet there in the upper room before he was betrayed. After Jesus finished washing his disciples' feet, he sat down and he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, right? And that is what this type of woman does. She follows the example of Jesus Christ. She doesn't just know the example, but she follows in it. She took the place of a humble servant, washed the feet of the saints. Paul also mentions how she has relieved the afflicted. This woman was there to minister to the needs of the physically, emotionally, and or spiritually hurting people. She was there to be an ear to hear, a shoulder to cry upon, a voice to speak comfort and healing to, one who would intercede on behalf of others in prayer, one that would tend to physical ailments as best as she could. She would mend the sick back to health. And then last of all, Paul says she has diligently followed every good work. This speaks of her overall commitment to these sorts of activities and good works. This wasn't something that she just did once or twice or every now and then. Okay? No, this was something that she was known for. She was committed. She was faithful in all of her deeds, faithful in her service to both God and to his church body. And so here we have all these different things that characterize the widow that was worthy of this honor. She was a woman who trusted in God, a woman of prayer, a woman that lived for God and not herself. She was faithful to her husband and known for all sorts of good works. She was a loving and nurturing mom, hospitable and a humble servant who genuinely cared for those who were hurting. She is an amazing and admirable woman, worthy of honor for sure, but also to be taken in and be financially provided for within the church. You know, as I was you know, just studying through this portion of Scripture, I was thinking to myself just how important some of these things truly are. You know, I know a great many of you moms are, are busy each day doing a whole lot of these types of things. You know, you're raising children, you're, you're opening up your home, you're humbly serving the church, you genuinely care for others. Uh, and I want you to know and I want you to realize just how important those things are. These are things that God sees great value in, okay? These are things that are honorable before the Lord. And, and you may not think it very honorable to God when changing your 10th diaper of the day, okay? I understand, but God sees and, and he knows all the little things that you do and they are important to him. You know, you may not think of raising children as some great ministry, but God does, okay? You are helping to raise the next generation of the church. Okay? You're laying a foundation in their life that will hopefully last them an entire lifetime. And so do not underestimate the value and the worth of your job as a mom and the impact that you're having and going to have upon the kingdom of God. I want to encourage us all, really. God sees all the little things that we do throughout the day, and they are important to Him. The good works we do that aren't done up in front of a crowd, they're not on display for all to see and, and admire. Take heart and know that God sees. He sees the good works that you do, and they aren't lost on Him. Okay? He sees, He knows, and He will bless in due season. Well, let's take a look at these final verses of our text, verses 11 through 16. We'll wrap it all up. 
He says, but refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having come in condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. Here Paul gives the reasons for why he would have Timothy refuse the younger widows from being enrolled into this support program within the church. Remember that cutoff, 60 years, okay? Um, Paul gives the explanation for why that cutoff is here. He speaks from experience as to how he's seen things happen in the past when it came to some of the younger widows and the difficulties that arose from them being brought under the care and support of the church at a younger age. And here he mentions a few different challenges that often presented themselves and led to Paul taking this sort of stance regarding who to take in or not. And the first problem involved their potential and desire to remarry. Most widows who are still under 60 and those who are well below could potentially still remarry and still desire to have children or to have more children or to simply have and to seek out another husband, a companion. And this desire would present a problem for the church. Now, the problem wasn't with them necessarily wanting to remarry as if remarriage was a bad thing because we know Paul encourages remarriage in verse 14. The problem it created was connected to some sort of pledge or commitment the widows were asked to make. That's what the wording here suggests in verse 12. Verse 12 speaks about the younger widows condemning themselves because they have cast off their first faith when they seek to be remarried. But in the New King James Version of the Bible, there's a superscript note there next to the word faith, and it lets us know that this word faith should be or could be considered as a solemn promise or pledge. Uh, Many other translations use the word pledge here instead of faith. And so what is exactly meant here by faith or or pledge and them abandoning it or casting it off? I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that it would seem that the widows that were brought under the financial support and care of the church were asked to make a pledge of loyalty or faithfulness to the church in some sort of service and to remain a widow as if it were some sort of work program. They would commit to praying for the church, and the church in exchange would provide for their financial needs. They would uh, minister the needs of the others that were in, the, uh, in need They'd come, uh, that were coming through the church. And depending upon their physical capabilities and their actual giftings, I imagine the actual work would differ from widow to widow. And it would seem that part of that commitment was a pledge to remain single while being under the support of the church. And so the idea is, if you want to come under the church's support, we want you to commit to, hey, helping out around here. You're going to do some things here. You're going to pray. Uh, you're going to do some practical ministries, and we're going to financially support you and, and care for you. But you need to make that commitment. You need to make that pledge. Uh, you know, Take that oath in a sense. And so the problem then becomes for these younger women, they, they make that oath, that pledge, but then they still want to get married. And it's like, hey, you, you made this pledge. You made this commitment, and now you're backing out on wanting to back out on the commitment. That is where the problem came, not just because having a desire to be remarried. Okay, 
The second problem that Paul warned Timothy of was that it often produced laziness within the younger widows. They would learn to be idle, meaning that they would learn not to work. You know, at younger ages, there was actually some work that they could perhaps do to earn money to support themselves. And so Paul didn't want to bring on widows who were physically capable of maintaining an actual physical job. All it would do would teach them to be idle, to be lazy. If they could get a handout from the church by simply doing some simple task around the church every once in a while and not have to commit to an actual job, well, this would create a bad standard, right? Instead of helping this person, you'd actually be enabling them, enabling them to be lazy, uh, supporting a lifestyle that was contrary to church expectations, right? Remember our study in the book of Second Thessalonians, how Paul commanded them, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Okay? They shouldn't be mooching off of the church. Okay? If they have the capability to work, then they should. Okay? The church wasn't meant to be a place for people to come and get a free handout. The expectation was that people worked for their food, for their livelihood. And so even for the widows, they would be given some sort of task, responsibility within the church. Hey, this is what you're going to do. We'll take care of you. Okay, I'll make that commitment. You know, All right. Everyone tracking, understanding? All right, good. And so the last problem uh, Paul mentioned actually took place as a result of their idleness. They would have so much time on their hands that they would start to meddle in everyone else's business, and they would become gossips and busybodies. Again, obviously not something the church wants to be supporting and or encouraging. And so Paul instructs for the instructions for the younger widows were that they were to remarry, have children, manage their homes, give no opportunity for the adversary to speak reproachfully. Everyone would remain above reproach in this manner. Verse 15 leads us to believe that this was a major issue that had caused some to turn from their faith, to follow after the enemy, to follow after Satan. So this was something Timothy had to be very delicate with and consistent when it came to who the church would financially support. It had already caused a lot of problems before and even had some turn from their faith because of what happened and how things were handled. So Paul gives these very clear, specific standards and expectations regarding who the church takes in under the care and support program for widows. And then at the very end of our text, Paul again, for the third time, mentions how the primary people responsible for caring and ministering to the need of a widow are her own immediate family members, not the church. As a caring and loving pastor of the church, Timothy would not, or excuse me, he would want to take care of and provide for the needs of these widows, but the church needed to know and understand that the responsibility was upon the immediate family members, not the church. You know, the church can step in and support when the family is unable to, but the primary responsibility belonged to the immediate family, not the church family. Now, how do we apply this to our lives? Okay? Not, most of us are not w- widows. Um, where we don't have a, a widow ministry here in our church because we just don't have... That's not a need for our church. Okay? Um, but how do we apply this? Okay? I think one of the things that stood out to me is the need for discretion in the management of church resources. Okay? There are times when people come around the church, okay? this happens actually more often than what you might think or imagine, uh, and they come and they're looking for a handout, they're looking for some aid or some sort of financial support, but we don't want to get into the practice of just frivolously giving away God's resources. You know, we have to understand that sometimes giving aid to someone doesn't really help them, 
right? It only enables them to continue in their, you know, sinful lifestyle. And so we have to be mindful of that. We've had people come and say, hey, you know, I, I got a job, I got work up in Tokyo, and I need to get there, and hey, can you give me some money for a bus? And it's like, okay, you know, and we talk to them, try to get more of their story, and we say, hey, we'll take you down to the bus counter right now, we'll buy you a ticket. Oh, no, 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 don't do that, just give me the money, you know, and I'll do it, and it's like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. We don't do that here, okay? You know, if we can help you in a practical way, we, we want to try and do that, but we're not just going to give money, we're just not going to give God's resources away uh, and allow someone to continue doing things that are contrary to what we would want to support and, and encourage. Okay? So, we want to make sure that the things we invest in are going to have lasting fruit. They're going to have an eternal impact. Paul presents really two groups of people here in our study. These older widows that Paul recommends for being added to the support were women who were known for their good works, their hospitality, their active prayer life, helping the afflicted, and ultimately had their hopes set on God. And in contrast, there were these others, okay, who instead of good works, became idle. And instead of being known for hospitality and opening up their homes, they went from house to house. Instead of having an active prayer life, they became active gossips and busybodies. Instead of helping the afflicted, they would go around saying hurtful things. And instead of having their hopes set upon God, they had their hopes set upon their own sinful desires. One group was worthy of the church's support, and the other wasn't. Okay? So we need to exercise wisdom and discernment in who and what we support with God's resources. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this portion of Scripture, Lord, and how it applies to us. We thank you that we are a family in you, Lord, and um, I pray that we would love each other um, as family. Lord, I pray that you would give to us uh, wisdom and discretion and how best to use your uh, resources, Lord, um, to minister to those who are in need, to um, identify those needs and to identify those people that we could help. And Lord, that you'd lead us and guide us in that. Lord, I pray as we consider just the example of these women, what, they were an, uh, an, uh, honestly an amazing woman that's described here, uh, very admirable and honorable. And I pray that you know, our, the women here today would desire to be likewise, you know, to have that uh, reputation for uh, good works and just loving you, being a prayer warrior, being uh, just committed to you and in her devotion to you, Lord. Um, Lord, thank you that all these little things that we do, you see them all, Lord, and they are not lost in your eyes and in your economy. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not grow weary while doing good, Lord, that we would continue to uh, serve you, to honor you in the strength that your spirit gives. We give you ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen.